Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Sometimes in... um in life and work and relationship, you kind of hit this point where you just think, "Man, something's got to, something's got to give soon." Uh, just, I mean, if something doesn't change, I'm, I'm not sure I can keep going on like this. And um, today is that day. We've been working through Romans and Romans. Uh, Paul, when he wrote it, has been laying into us pretty heavily about we're all sinners and we all need Jesus. And so today marks where he's going to start to make that transition from kind of the the heavy stuff of everyone being sinner to just the more fun stuff of what it means to be saved by Christ and and what that all looks like. And so today is a a transition today. Um, We're going to make it about halfway through Romans before we're going to have to take a break simply because we'll be starting up the Christmas Advent season. So hopefully we'll get through about the first half of Romans. We've been working uh, through it really uh, chapter by chapter. Last week we were in chapter 4 and um, we... Uh, some of you, you know, we underlined and crossed out some different words, but but Paul is making the case in chapter 4 that our justification is by faith, not works. It is by grace. It's not by the law, and it's by God's resurrection power. It's not by human power. And just again to review, when we talk about justification, uh, really that is a legal term, and it means that, that really your debts before God have been canceled, and it is a one-time event when we are justified. It, it happens uh, at, at a singular moment, and we are, uh, our debts, past and, and present and future, are, are set clear before God. So today we're in the first part of uh, Romans 5. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to, to turn to that as we walk through this. Like I said, chapter 5, I think, is really kind of the, the pivot point where Paul is he's going to shift from us talking about sinners— uh, and, and us being justified um, before God. And, and he's going to start talking more about holy living and, and what that looks like. And so we're, we're at this transition point where things start to get a little bit more um, kind of heavy and fun and, and not so depressive. Uh, justification at this point is, is now viewed in the light of wealth of the blessings that it conveys to us as, as children of God. And Paul is going to begin chapter 5... Pretty early on with this statement, he's going to say that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would offer to you that really that whole first section, the first 11 verses, we're only going to cover uh, verses 1 to 11. That whole section, Paul is really unpacking this idea of what what does it mean that we have peace with God. Because it's actually a, a hugely significant statement in, in what all is wrapped up into that. And, and so throughout verses 1 to 11, Paul is going to intermingle kind of two ideas. He's going to go back and forth, and he's going to talk about our previous state, where we were under the wrath of God, and then he's going to talk about our current state, or being justified, or where we've been reconciled, and so now we rejoice. And so I'm going to read verses 1 to 11 for you, and listen for, um, listen for the words peace, listen for the words rejoice, and listen to, for the words reconciled. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. 
Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will uh, anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. One of the words that Paul uses a lot is is this term reconciled. Um, To say that we have peace with God is is a huge statement. That that is a huge statement. Um, I I am convinced that that we, until we get to heaven, we will never fully understand what we were saved from and what we were saved to. I just, I, we, we will never understand, and, and that's even just speaking kind of in the eternal realm on just the whole hell and heaven comparison, but even just in this world that we will never fully realize uh, until we're in heaven what we were saved from and what we were saved to. To understand reconciled, we actually need to go back to the beginning, and I'm actually going to um, I won't read the, the next section, but in the next section, Paul does a, a pretty uh, lengthy comparison between Adam and, and Christ. And, and so I'm going to pull from that a little bit. But Paul is going to go all the way back to Adam, and he uses Adam to explain why you and I, without Jesus, are enemies of God, which is a pretty s- strong phrase. We'll unpack that. But here's why, right? So Genesis 2 and 3. God creates mankind, creates Adam and Eve. Now, the, the way that the New Testament writers and the way that even Jesus talk about Adam and Eve, we know that Adam and Eve were real people and that they were individuals, right? This is not a metaphor for a tribe or a group of people or that kind of thing. Um, the way that the New Testament talks about them, we know that Adam and Eve were literal, um, you, you know, one man, one woman, that kind of thing. It's not an illustration. It's not figurative. One man, one woman, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. They both ate the forbidden fruit, right? And whatever, you know, in, in I think the kitty pictures, it looks like an apple, but it wasn't an apple. I, we, don't, we don't know what it was. Some tree, some kind of fruit. They weren't supposed to eat it. They both ate it, and now we're paying the consequences today, okay? So in doing so, um, they sinned personally, but somehow in that action, they released sin into the world. And the fullness of what all that means, I'm, I'm not sure, but somehow that singular action released sin into the world. 
and it also seems, and we're actually not going to unpack this today, but just kind of to, to give you a little bit of, maybe someday we'll talk about this. But it also seems that to a certain extent that they surrendered authority or a part of their authority to Satan, which then Christ reclaimed at the cross and then gave to his church. Some Kind of some big, but we can, maybe someday we'll, we'll unpack that. Um, but the, it, it appears that, that some of that happened as well too. They both ate the fruit. Uh, sin enters the world. Here's something that's kind of interesting, as a little bit of an aside. The, the New Testament writers um, will say that Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned, which is kind of interesting. And, and when speaking of that first sin, the consequences of that sin being released into the world, the New Testament writers only ever blame Adam. They never blame Eve. They only ever blame Adam. They, the, all the blame from that first moment is laid at the feet of Adam. Eve, it says Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. And then, and I mean, in this whole thing, right, in this next section, Paul is going to talk about Adam sinning. He never mentions Eve. It's only ever Adam. In addition, New Testament writers tell us that in the Christian home, the husband is supposed to, you know, provide Christian leadership for his family. Some Christian authors and thinkers have taken those two points and concluded that within the family unit, because the, the husband is called the leader and, and looking at what happened with Adam and Eve, they, they have concluded that within the, the Christian family unit, the husband is held accountable for the sins of the couple. Right? The wife is still responsible for her individual sin, but the sins of the couple, that done together fall on the husband because he's supposed to provide Christian leadership within the family home. Now, do what you want with that. I don't know that we necessarily have a verse that specifically outlines that. It's kind of a, well, if this is true and this is true, then, you know, I think we can conclude this. Personally, and this is just my opinion, I think they're dead on accurate, um, simply because it fits the pattern found in Scripture where the leaders are held to a higher standard and often judged um, just differently for the sins of the, the people that they lead and the consequences of their sin. The conclusion of that being this. Husbands, if this is all true, you will be held accountable for the sins of the couple or the sins of the family. So, might have just wrecked your day, but there you are, okay? I'm telling you that because I love you. Um, so, what does it mean for you to live and lead with that on your shoulders. Here's the other thing. W wives, um, please don't make this harder than it already is. <laughs> okay? And I don't know. Maybe some of you just need to chill out a little bit. Okay? Um, he, he can't lead unless you let him. To the single men and women, uh, you're exempt from all this and just disregard all of it because you're responsible for your own sins. So maybe perhaps someday this will apply to you, but, but for right now, you're exempt. Back to Adam, okay? So Adam sins. Sin enters the world. We're all born into sin. And so our default natural condition is sinners. Because we are sinners. Now this is going to get uncomfortable for just a couple moments. So get happy in the end. Hang with me here. This is going to get uncomfortable. Because we are sinners, because we are born into sin, Scripture actually says we're enemies of God. In this section, Romans 5, verse 10, when we were 
God's enemies. That's a very powerful word to say that God's, and it's not like only a few people are God's enemies. No, anyone who has rejected Christ, I mean, just all of us, by default, God's enemies. James 4 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Uh, Nahum, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Psalm 68, 21, But God will strike the heads of his enemies. Colossians 1, 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Um, Romans 8, 7, uh, but good news translation. Uh, and so people became, become enemies of God when they are controlled by their human nature for they do not obey God's law. There is a very important message uh, in Christianity that while we were still sinners... God loved us. Totally true. Completely true. Fantastically true. That is true, wonderful. Everyone needs to hear that. Totally and completely true. But, sometimes people have assumed that since we were loved by Christ, even as sinners, we were lovable. And that is not true. According to these verses, as sinners, we were not lovable. Um, scripture actually talks about, like what we just said, being enemies of God. Sometimes people will argue against this, right? And the argument typically goes like this. Well, you know, you're born this way, whatever way that is. God made you. When God made you, God did not make mistakes. So any um, desires or whatever you have is from God. It's blessed by God. And just this idea being that even as sinners, people without Christ, like we are lovable. When we say yes to Jesus, we are surrendering our, our whole self to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So everything comes under his direction. Some things about our life change. Some things we struggle with until the day we die, right? But anyone who is not saved, this is awkward, but I have to say it, is an enemy of God. In embracing sin, we have somehow set ourselves as enemies of God, whether we realize it or not. Now, so this idea that God loves us as sinners, it actually makes that statement more powerful, right? Because if we're lovable and God loves us, there's nothing remarkable in that. It's easy to love the lovable. Like, big deal. I'm lovable. God loves me. Well, of course he does. Why wouldn't he? Right? Like, it's a, it's, it really waters down the idea of God's love if we were lovable. But if we're God's enemies and God still loves us, that's mind-boggling. That is, that's really hard to wrap your, your, and suddenly God's love has so much weight and impact to it. And that is what Paul says in Romans 5. Listen to this. Very rarely, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. For a good man, you know, maybe sometimes, possibly, someone might dare to die. Maybe. Like on rare occasions. 
but it's not going to happen a whole lot. That's my version of verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in this, that while we were still sinners, which Paul has just defined as enemies of God, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. And then also, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through death of his son. The better you recognize and understand your sin, the more grateful you become of God's grace. People who are flippant about God's love do not understand sin and do not understand their pre-existing condition as an enemy of God. We can have peace with God, but only through Jesus Christ. Other scriptures are, will unpack this more thoroughly. Uh, Jesus himself unpacks it more thoroughly. Paul here mentions it kind of in passing. But just to be clear, all this good stuff, the peace, the reconciliation, the access, the justification, all of it is only available through Jesus Christ, right? So if you're willing to say, you know, Jesus, I believe in you, and I believe that you rose from the dead, and you're the Son of God, and that you died for my sins, and you're, you're, you're Lord of my life, you're... And yeah, I give you my life, right? All of this is free for the taking. It's yours, all of it, to say yes to Jesus. But for those that say no to Jesus, it's still enemies of God. Now, um, that was the uncomfortable passage. Now we'll get to more fun stuff. In this first passage, uh, Paul makes two interesting comments about joy or about rejoicing. In verse 2, he says this. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, right? So the whole point for like the first four chapters where Paul is talking about sin and wrath and God's wrath and enemies of God and you're all sinners and all that other kind of stuff, right, is to point out that through Jesus, we're free from all of that. That, that we, have, we can have peace with God, friends with God, reconciled to God. That we have hope in life after death. That we have hope that, that things on our earth can change here and now. We can have hope that, that struggling marriages or relationships or, or broken relationships with family can, can be revived or mended. We have hope that, su- that those who suffer can experience freedom or peace. And we have hope that addictions don't have to be addictions anymore. But then it carries on. Uh, verse 3. But we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Folks, our hope in Christ is so good and so strong and so powerful that even our suffering becomes a good thing. That's very remarkable. That even the suffering is now to our advantage because of Jesus, right? Like, and, and it really, it, like, it sounds crazy, right? Okay, there is a, there's a saying in parenting um, that, you know, discipline is not something you do to the child. Discipline is, you do, is something you do for the child, right? And so the idea being that the child misbehaves and you correct the child by whatever it means you deem necessary, and that in the long run, this is a blessing for the child because the child grows up to be a normal, respectful adult and not just some hoodlum 
who, whatever, right? You get the point. So discipline is something you do for the child. When you become a Christian, your external suffering is met by the Holy Spirit living within you. And that combination now has the power to make you a better person. Hear that again. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes, lives within you. And so when that external suffering comes at you, it is met by the Holy Spirit living within you. And and when you give that Holy Spirit freedom to, to call the shots in your life, it now has the power, that combination is now going to make you a better person. Um, maybe I've shared this story. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, a, a co-worker, this was several years ago, his wife had uh, a heart scare. Um, she's fine now. She's good. But it was, uh, something happened with the heart. And it's, it's one of those things that, like, most people die from. But, you know, they came through it. Tough season for a while. But, you know, she, she's doing good. Um, uh, our general director made, made a passing comment to me. And it, it was just so startling. But in, in referencing that this man and what he was going through with, with his family, our general director made the comment. He goes, you know, spiritually, he's getting promoted. Promoted. Who says crazy things like that? Christians do. Christians who understand that when the Holy Spirit lives within you and you're met with suffering, it actually has the power to make you a better person. Like, how crazy is it, and especially by world standards, how crazy is it that we can go through a hard time and think, you know what, spiritually, I think I'm getting promoted. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Paul, in these first four or five chapters, has brought us through uh, tough stuff. And all of it's true, right? And all of it's things that, that we need to know. Things are starting to, to turn the corner. Things are starting to get more, more exciting. Um, in a couple minutes, we're going to have communion. We're, we're sharing communion today. Um, and as we prepare for communion, uh, a couple thoughts on, on perhaps how to enter into communion. First of all, is just if, if you personally um, have not received Lord as Savior, or if you know of someone who still needs to make that transition, let's spend some time praying for them today, whether that's you yourself or, or someone else, just to, to pray for that person to transition from enemy of God to justified, friend of God. Um, and so we'll, we'll incorporate that in the prayer. But So just, I'll, I'll give you a few, few moments kind of as we're getting ready to be, to be thinking of someone to pray for um, in, that, in that process. Secondly, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit working within us and that suffering can actually be for our good. Um, it doesn't necessarily make the suffering more pleasant, I, maybe we should have covered that more thoroughly. It doesn't necessarily make the, the suffering more pleasant, but it can have this long-term benefit of, of making you a, a better person. And so as we do communion today, I'm also going to take a moment where we're in our prayer. For you to simply, in your suffering, just surrendering your suffering to Christ and inviting him into that space.
as well, too. Um, I'm going to pray. While I'm praying, care team, you guys can go ahead and, and get set up with the communion cups. Uh, just kind of as a little primer, because of COVID, we're using these again. And thank you for your patience. It, I mean, there's the little wafer in the top, and you get, there's kind of a clear cellophane. It, it's hard to have a holy moment when you're losing a battle to a piece of plastic, right? But um, there is this, and even I can't, like there's the big plastic flap, that's getting you to the juice, but this wee little one. Give me a sec. I can't even get it. There we are. There we are. There's just a wee, wee little flap that you got to get at to get at the wafer. So you might want to start that process early. But we'll be using these again. So um, I'm going to pray, um, and then uh, we'll. T- and then um, after I pray, care team can go ahead and distribute those, and, and we'll talk a little bit more. But join join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the truth of your scripture, even when it's really hard to hear. And Lord, today felt like another, a hard one. We are making that transition, but no one wants to hear that, that our default condition is an enemy of God. But that's what you say, and so that's what we're accepting as truth. But Lord, we also recognize that in understanding that truth, this idea that you loved us even when we were sinners, it becomes so much more powerful. It's easy to love the lovable, but it is remarkable to love the sinner. And so, Lord, we, we thank you. We are so grateful for that. Lord, for anyone here, for anyone listening online, um, whether personally or, or Lord, also just a name that comes to mind for that person who may not know you. Lord, we say, here I am. Lord, I, I admit that I am a sinner, that I need your salvation, and so I want to receive that. I want to accept that. I believe that you came to earth. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose again, and I say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is is Lord of all, and Jesus is Lord of my life. I make that proclamation here today. Lord, for for the names that we might be thinking of, of someone where we know they haven't surrendered their life to you, or we're just not sure, Lord, we bring that, that name before you, and Lord, we pray you'd work in their life and that they would understand their need for a savior they would understand their need for you that they would become desperate for it that they would find you they would find grace and they would find peace with god and they would be reconciled with god and they would experience the fullness of the joy that comes with that and that their life would become known for rejoicing Lord, for those who are suffering. Lord, it's a remarkable thing that by your Holy Spirit that suffering can be for our good. It doesn't always make the suffering more pleasant, but we recognize that because of you it can be a good thing. And so, Lord, in that place of suffering, we just invite you into that, Lord. 
we, 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 we open ourselves up to you. We, we surrender our suffering at your feet. Say, Lord, can you please be Lord of this as well? Lord, as we prepare for communion, I pray that you would be speaking to us as individuals and even corporately that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.